Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. From Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it always does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we've heard earlier, we are grateful that it will not return empty, but it will accomplish that which you have purposed it to. We pray now that we would be beneficiaries of that promise, that this word that we have just heard would take root in our hearts, that it would uproot things that are not of you and plant things that are of you. We pray that your spirit would give us eyes to see the hope that we have in Christ, this treasure that we have in Christ that we are sitting on. God, we pray that you would illumine the eyes of our hearts to understand that you would speak to us through your word and that you would make the word of God clear for the benefit of your church, for the hallowing of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Can a future promise impact life in the present? Think about how this can be true even on trivial matters. I can get through this Friday at work because I have a three-day weekend coming up. I see the finish line in sight. I can get through the race. I feel lonely today, but tomorrow I'll be around people who care about me. I haven't been feeling good, but the doctor said I'm going to recover in a couple of days. You see, in each of those scenarios, a future promise has invaded a present reality. And that's what's going on in the opening verses of Colossians. The assurance of a future hope has radically invaded their present, and their lives have not been the same since. And the good news for us is as this same infinitely precious hope invades our earthly reality, our lives, just like the Colossians, will not be the same. The challenge that we're going to face today, this is a challenge that I face just wrestling with this passage. I'm pretty good at calling to mind I can get through this day because there's a three-day weekend coming ahead. But it's harder to call to mind in the trenches of life this amazing hope that we're going to hear about today. But by God's grace, if we can do this, it will change things as we can see. So here's the main point of our passage today. Heavenly hope produces earthly fruit. Let's say it together. What's the big idea today? 
Amen. That's what we are going to see. Now, to help us see where the book of Colossians fits within kind of the grand narrative of Scripture, let's just briefly see how we get from Christ's life, death, and resurrection to the book of Colossians. So the church at Colossae was a historic church that Paul was writing to, uh, roughly 25 years after Christ's ministry. So on the eve of Christ's crucifixion, he promised his disciples he would not leave them as orphans, but he would send them his spirit. 50 days after that, we read in the book of Acts, the spirit came and dwelled and empowered his followers. And from there, some stayed in Jerusalem, but many scattered to different parts of the world with this message. Inevitably, someone like Paul, he would go on a missionary journey. He would stop at these cities. He would preach this message. People would come to faith. They would see the hope they have in Christ. A church would be planted. He would establish local leaders of that church. And then he would go on to do the same thing elsewhere. Inevitably, what would happen is issues, challenges would arise and Paul would get wind of it and then he would write a letter or an epistle back to them telling them how to handle these challenges. And that's how we get something like the book of Colossians. So our New Testament, the first four books, we have what we call gospels. They're the life of Christ. The fifth book, Acts, it's this bridge, this hinge book to the rest of the New Testament. It shows the birth of the early church. It shows us the establishment of churches. And the rest of the New Testament, for the most part, by and large, consists of people like Paul writing letters to address those issues in the churches that are very pertinent to us. Now, Colossae. The main problem in Colossae is this. And this is why Paul is writing the letter. Although they have received Christ, they are now shrinking back. They are being enticed to believe that Christ is insufficient for all matters of life. Christ is one good thing amongst many things, but there's many other good religious ideas that they can adhere to. And so Paul is saying, oh no, just we just sung, our hope is is in Christ alone. And he's going to say Christ, which is going to be the theme of the entire book, Christ's complete and utter sufficiency for all things in life and him alone. In Christ, all treasures are found. And that's what's going to guide our, our book. Now, here's uh, just to give you a quick glimpse into some of the problems in Colossae. I'm going to read a few verses in chapter 2 that we'll talk about way more fully in six weeks or so. Colossians 2, 20 through 23 says this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Just a little bit of what's going on in Colossae. We're going to unpack that way more in six weeks. But just now on your radar, no, Paul is combating the idea of a church saying Christ is good, but he alone is not sufficient. So with that background, let's now mine the riches of verses one and two in Colossians. Now to help us follow, it's in your, in your bulletin. There's an outline of how we're going to go through it. In verses one and two, we are going to see the means of grace, In verses 3 through 6, the message of grace. In verses 7 through 8, the messenger of grace. 
So that's how we're going to proceed. Uh, we're going to go verse by verse. And so as I'm going, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Uh, verses uh, one and two is where we're going to start. So they'll just kind of give you an idea. So our eyes are on the word of God. Now, at times, we may view the introduction like the terms and conditions of a document that we're supposed to read, but no one actually reads, but we check the box like we read it just to get through that. And I want to assure you, these are, this introduction is far vastly superior than the terms and conditions that we generally gloss over in life. There are a treasure, there's a treasure chest of hope waiting for us just in verses 1 and 2. So in verse 1, we're introduced to Paul, our author. And so for part of his life, his earthly ambition was to kill and persecute Christians until, until Christ has made an executive decision and said, no more, you are mine, and I am bringing you to my team. He just, he just interceded in Paul's life and, and brought him over. And to say that this encounter that Paul had with Christ changed the, the course of the world is not an exaggeration. So let's, let's, just, let's just peer in, first-hand glimpse, the book of Acts, chapter 9. Let's watch this encounter. When we see the word Saul, that's his name before it's changed to Paul. Same guy as our author in Colossians. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, those are Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, if we would continue to read on, we'd say, God, Christ said he's gonna suffer. And even with all the suffering that would that was awaiting Paul, this glimpse of Christ, this glimpse of the hope he has in heaven has changed everything. It will spur on a life of sacrifice and love and imprisonment for Christ, which is where he is writing this letter to the Colossians from, from prison. So we move on. Paul is an apostle. And this word should be sweeter to our souls and honey to our mouths. The apostles is how Christ communicates with us today. It is a word dripping with authority. The word apostle means to be sent. And in order to be apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of Christ's resurrection, which we just saw that Paul was. Now, he wasn't one of the original 12 who walked with Jesus, but when he encountered Christ, the risen Christ on that road, Christ made him an apostle and entrusted him with all the authority of an apostle. And so I want to take us back hours before Christ went to the cross, before he left his disciples to discover something very significant for us. It's in John 16, 12 and 13, some of the last words that Jesus would give. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and get this, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is gold, guys. This is gold. So Jesus is talking to his apostles. Paul is now an apostle. 
Christ promised that his spirit would take his very words and take in a revealing of the things to come and would give them to the apostles. And so what we have in front of us in this letter to the Colossians is a fulfillment of that promise. So as we open up our Bibles for the next 11 weeks in Colossians, what we have are words that come with the full measure of authority of Christ given to the apostle, breathed out by the spirit for our good. And this this is incredible. This is why we come to church. This is our confidence that not one word will return empty. Now, Paul is writing to the saints at Colossae, little town. Now, we may hear the term saints and think of like a Christian with a Superman cape. Yet, this designation is used for all Christians. It literally means holy ones, and it's never used in the singular. It's always used in the plural to describe a church together collectively, even though it's true about us as individuals. Now, you and I might say, well, I don't feel holy. Uh, I do unholy things, and that's true. But our core identity is we are in Christ. We have union with Christ And therefore, because of that union, we are declared to be holy even as we practically, day by day, begin to act more holy. Now, notice the dual citizenship uh, in this verse that Paul recognizes in them. They are saints who are in Christ. That's their primary identity. Yet they live out that identity in Colossae. So they are in the world, but not of the world. Their primary identity is in Christ. They just happen to live out that identity in Colossae. So they're not at Christ and in Colossae. They are in Christ and at Colossae. And the hope that they have in their heavenly citizenship has made them good citizens in Colossae because they are not trying to make earth heaven. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. If God is your Father and you are in Christ, You are in union with Christ. Grace flows to you. Grace is flowing to you now. In the book of Acts, Paul says, I commend you to the word of grace, which is able to build you up. That means his word, including the word of Colossians, it mediates grace to us. His word is like a spiritual IV, constantly dripping grace to hydrate our parched souls. And so as we dive into this letter, and as God is our Father, we can say, grace be to you. So let's continue to be hydrated by this grace as we discover now the message of grace in verses 3 through 6. And now we're going to really focus on verses 3 and 4 to begin. Let's not miss this startling reality here, that Paul always prays for a group of brothers and sisters he has never met. This is one of the churches he did not plant. Verse seven, we learn it's this guy named Epaphras. Paul's identity was so bound up in Christ and therefore Christ's church, his body, that he had an undying affection for a group of strangers that he called family. His being apprehended by the risen Christ on that Damascus road and thus the glimpse of that heaven reality has produced an unrelenting love for his brothers and sisters he's never met. Verse four tells us two things. Do you see it in the text? Two things that Paul thanked God for. 
He thanked them for that hearing about their faith in Christ. And he thanked them for their love for one another. This is what fueled the engine of Paul's gratitude. Now notice how these twin realities are intertwined. Their vertical faith in Christ and their horizontal love for one another, they went hand in hand. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So as a life-giving nutrients of the vine pulsated through their spiritual veins, it couldn't help but manifest in an otherworldly love. Sometimes we pit truth and love against each other as if we must choose between them. They are not an estranged couple living under different roofs. They are joined to the hip. They are intertwined. Paul is thankful not for good doctrine devoid of love, nor mere sentimental love devoid of truth. He is thankful for faith in Christ manifesting in love. Now, here's a question we want to ask before we go to verse 5, because verse 5 is like, that's where we're camping on today. But here's a question we want to ask right here. What, what, what made this possible? How, what made their faith in Christ and their love, what made it bloom? Okay, because verse 5, I'm going to give you a clue. It starts with the word, because. All right, so, verse 5. Did you notice the dynamite that made faith and love explode? Let's all say because. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So their hope in heaven is what lights the fuse of faith in Christ and love for one another on earth. So there's something about their heavenly hope that has so invaded their earthly reality that it has changed everything. Now, perhaps you've heard this somewhat sarcastic cliche. He's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Paul dismantles that cliche. He says they are so heavenly minded that they're incredibly earthly good. For Paul, heaven and earth were not like oil and water that weren't meant to mix. One, the reality of one's meant to bleed into the reality of the other. Heavenly hope produces earthly fruit. Now we've established already, even kind of comically, how something, even like looking ahead to a three-day weekend, even looking ahead how something that future hope provides grace to navigate difficult circumstances in the present. But what about when the chips are down? What about when things get really hard? Does heavenly hope make us earthly good or is this a nice platitude that we put on coffee mugs? So let's just turn to scripture, Hebrews 10. We're gonna read that together. Uh, And what I want us to know the connection here, how does heavenly hope produce earthly fruit? So let's read it together, Hebrews 10, 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Hang on to that, an abiding one. Another word for heavenly citizenship. So the context here in Hebrews is that church members were imprisoned, and so the rest faced a decision. Will we go underground and hide in order to save ourselves Or will we risk the plundering of our own goods in order to go visit our brothers and sisters in Christ in prison? So what was it that spurred on such risk-taking love? 
to risk the plundering of their goods to go visit their brothers and sisters in prison. It was because they had an abiding possession. Their heavenly hope had invaded their earthly reality and it manifested in an otherworldly love to their brothers and sisters. If you want to love well, be intimately acquainted with your hope in heaven. Heavenly hope spurs on the fruit that we bear. All right, so I always like to anticipate the problem. When I read scripture, I want to ask a question. How is this going to be hard to apply? Okay, here's the problem for me. If I'm honest, oftentimes I functionally, not intellectually, functionally, I live in a way that says this. When I'm discouraged in the present, when I'm uncertain, when I'm hurt, when I'm overwhelmed, this hope in heaven is not the solution now. It will be one day. Such a glorious reunion with Christ one day. It's a nice nest egg for spiritual retirement, but it makes no practical difference today, January 7th, 2024. Now, when, when this dangerous mindset prevails, it's as if we are the richest of all people sitting on an inheritance, but unable to find our debit card in order to cash in our inheritance. Hope produces faith. We just saw that. But faith must constantly call to mind hope. Otherwise, hope remains an intellectual proposition and not a heartfelt reality. Faith must cash hope in by turning it into currency to be spent, not a check to hang on the refrigerator. The more we call to mind these heavenly realities, the more earthly fruit we bear. The difference between a microscope and a telescope is that a microscope makes small things appear bigger than they are, but a telescope just brings into focus how big something is. When we don't take the telescope approach to the magnitude of this hope of Christ, by default, inevitably, we will take a microscope approach to the things of this earth. When we go throughout our time on earth, uh, unaware, losing sight of our hope in heaven, there is nothing to light the fuse of love. And therefore, in the absence of hope, we seek to excavate treasures of this earth that are nowhere found to be in this earth, but only in Christ. And when this happens, rather than bearing the fruit of love towards others, we can easily see others as a means towards our ends to fill a void in our hearts that is meant to be filled by that hope in heaven. However, when we're tapped in to this heavenly hope, when this becomes real and experiential, love more naturally oozes out of us because we're not hanging on so tightly to the things of this earth that God is trying to pry our fingers loose from. So questions are good. So here's a question you want to ask, because we just said hope in heaven. What's that? That's kind of vague, right? We want to drill down. So what's exactly meant by this hope, for he- hope in heaven? Well, look at the rest of verse five. Of this, that's of this hope, 
you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So the heavenly hope, which has spurred on the Colossians' faith in Christ and love for one another is the gospel. And to borrow language of how Paul uses that term later on in Colossians, it's this. As Christians, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We have no more guilt. We're sitting on an inheritance that cannot be taken, that does not fade. And best of all, we get God himself. What would be the point of heaven without the presence of God? In Christ are all treasures. In him is fullness of joy and treasures forevermore. Now, maybe some of you are here today and you're not sure if you want to put hope in Christ. I would just simply say this. We functionally, we all put our hope in something. And I believe what we will discover is when our hope is sought elsewhere, it's like a broken cistern or a leaky bucket. You see, hope is only as good as its object. And Christ is the only one worthy of our hope. So if you would like to ask questions about beginning a relationship with Christ, talk with the person you came with. Talk to one of us pastors or elders that you've seen up here. Now, verse six tells us this, that this hope, this gospel that's come, it wasn't this privatized thing merely for the Colossians. It is bearing fruit, not only in Colossae, it's bearing fruit in what? All the world. So the the common denominator isn't that the Colossians were so special. It's the message that's so special. It's not one gospel for Colossae, one for Corinth, one for Philippi, and one for Sacramento. Now, there's certain promises in Scripture that they're, they're, they're conditional. So did you notice the conditions in which the gospel, for the gospel to be fruitful? In this verse, it must be heard and it must be understood. But we can't expect something to grow if the seed hasn't been planted in the soil. And we can't expect a seed to grow if it doesn't get the nurture of sunshine and water. So the gospel needs to be heard and it needs to be understood. That's why we gather every week. <laughs> I mean, that's why we send people. So people hear the gospel. That's why we send missionaries. We exist week in and week out. Sunday, we exist right, to, to hear the gospel to speak the word of God clearly, which Paul prays for later. So we're encouraged because our natural default is we lose sight of that heavenly hope and we need to stir one another up. This is why we gather on Sundays. This is why we do things like Wednesday nights and Alpha. Wednesday nights and Alpha isn't a means to an end by itself. It's the means to the end. The gospel will be heard and understood and our hope in heaven would come into focus that we'd realize how rich we are and bear much fruit in our lives. All right, we have looked at the means of grace, the message of grace, and briefly, now let's discover the messenger of grace in verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 tells us that Epaphras was the messenger in which the Colossians heard and understood the gospel, the grace of God, this hope that's laid up for them in heaven. He's the one who planted this church. When we find out just in a minute a little bit more Epaphras, he's like one of those guys we all need an Epaphras in our lives. Listen to what we learned about him in chapter 4, verse 12. This is great. Chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Get this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you 
that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. We need epapyruses in our lives. We need to be epapyruses to others. He wrestles, he agonizes in prayer, not for their circumstances to change, but they may be mature and fully assured of the will of God. Right? Because heavenly hope produces earthly good. Epapyrus got a glimpse of his hope in heaven and he was so good to the Colossians in the form of sacrificing and wrestling and struggling in prayer for them. To top it off, we learn in the book of Philemon that as he was taking word from the Colossians to Paul, he got imprisoned. So his, what spurred on his risk-taking love in order to take news to Paul and to take this hope to people who had never heard? You know it, he saw his heavenly hope so clearly. I love how this body is section verses three through six. Did you notice this? Sandwiched on both sides of this are two prisoners, Paul and Epaphras, so enthralled by their heavenly hope that they will sacrifice everything for their earthly brothers and sisters in Christ that they may know and hear the gospel. It's like, he's like, once we've heard of this heavenly hope, how can our life mission not be to tell others about it since that is what produces faith and love for others? So I'll close with the question I opened with. Can a future promise make life better in the present? Absolutely. This hope that we're talking about, it's far more real than even what we see in front of us because it's a hope that is permanent and enduring, not fleeting and transient. And therefore, as brothers and sisters, we need help. We need each other. We need God's word so that we will fix our gaze on this heavenly hope because that will make us incredibly good to one another. So here's just a very practical response this week for us as a church to engage in, to really help lift our eyes to what is real and true. And that's to memorize Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Uh, when you look at it, I hope later this afternoon or tomorrow, it's, it's, a, it's a gold mine that will be a gift of grace, like a spiritual IV to us that will really help us to keep our eyes on this heavenly hope. Heavenly hope produces earthly fruit. Let's watch for it this week as we gaze on the things above. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that your spirit has given us. May you seal these truths within our heart. Protect us from being forgetful. Help us to put them into practice. And as a result, as we lay eyes on this heavenly hope, we pray that our faith in Christ would grow and our love for one another would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by the message. You can send your questions or comments directly to us at podcast at fremontpress.org. That's podcast at fremontpress.org. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. We have classic worship in the sanctuary at 9 a.m. and modern worship in the Community Life Center at 1030 a.m. You can find the live stream of both of those services at fremontpress.org. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed to get the latest episode each week automatically. Thanks for listening.